Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The HHW LOD Podcast Network proudly presents Real Heroes, the podcast that takes a critical look at comic book movies. The good. I am Iron Man. The bad. I punish the guilty. And the worthless. I am the law. In the movies, Dracula wears a cape, and some old English guy always manages to save the day at the last minute with crosses and holy water. But everybody knows the movies are full of shit. The truth is, it started with Blade, and it ended with him. The rest of us were just along for the ride. So, when the movie started playing with that, and it was all silent before, and then this voiceover kicks in, I thought I had somehow downloaded a Rift Tracks version from iTunes accidentally, which was not the case, surprisingly, but I was hunting all over for the option to change it back to the regular version. <laughs> but no, it was Ryan Reynolds. It was Ryan Reynolds in Blade Trinity, and your real heroes this evening are Russ, Jim, and Jordan. Hello, folks. Hey, everybody. Yeah, I thought it was a really weird choice there to begin the movie with, with his voiceover in that tone, because while he does take that tone several times in the movie, it's not his only mode. I mean, he can be serious at some points, and it just sounds so strange to have him take that tone of voice and give that voiceover that way. True. Well, before we get started, I just want to take care of some business here real quick. Uh, as you listen to this podcast, uh, somewhere in the mid-April range, uh, we are going to be making some changes to the HHWLOD.com website, which may have some negative impacts on the feeds. So if you're hearing this uh, on the Real Heroes feed and it's mid-May or and it's mid-May-ish and you're not uh, seeing that another episode is out, uh, head on over to HHWLOD.com and hit the subscribe button and resubscribe to the podcast or research, seek it out in iTunes to subscribe if you get it that way. Uh, if you get it through the site, then not a big deal. It'll still show up on the site just like it always has. Back end of the site is getting a little outdated, so we're going to give it a fresh overhaul and make it a lot more security proof and everything else. So uh, it, it may cause some disruption with the feeds. It, it may not, but more than likely it will. So again, if you're if you're a reg regular listen listener to any of the HHWLOD network of podcasts and you don't hear any of them or see that any of them have updated regularly, then, uh, like I said, go on over to HHWLOD.com and resubscribe, and you should be back in business. So, our topic for tonight, as I mentioned, is Blade Trinity, and like we always do, we'll start with some numbers. So, first, Blade Trinity was released December 8th, 2004, so it's been eight-plus years since uh, since Blade Trinity, and this is the first one to get like a true winter release. Blade came out in August, and then I think Blade Two was like March. So they've they've kind of played around with the release schedule a bit. And I think having it come out over that Christmas time holiday with a bunch of family movies, and then the Oscar stuff coming in, I think that was really a detriment, as as we'll see in a minute. Nothing says family togetherness at Christmas time like decapitating vampires. Yeah. So the domestic gross for Blade Trinity was $52.4 million. That was third in the series. The foreign gross was $76.5 million for $128.8 million total. So I think it it uh, it just edged out Blade 1, but fell very short of, of Blade 2. Uh, the budget was $65 million, so it roughly made, in revenue, twice its box office gross. So when you factor in a $65 million budget plus promotion and everything else... Uh, this one probably eked out a profit or, or broke even on video sales and home home releases and all that kind of stuff. All the rights uh, associated rights with with the movie, it probably it probably did okay. It had a sixteen million dollar opening weekend, which again was was pretty weak considering Blade Two did double that in its opening weekend, uh, and Blade One did seventeen million in its opening weekend. So this was definitely. Uh, the weakest of the three for for a variety of reasons. It's it's pretty incredible when you think of that the first real entry to the Marvel movie universe in a, in a meaningful way was Blade. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was the first one that really crossed over and had some success even before X Men or anything else. 
kind of set the table for everything. I mean, so, you know, like, like the Blade movies or not, you know, they, they did open that door and they did make their money. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is what really gave the green light to X-Men. I mean, Blade, the first Blade movie was really what kicked it off and said, you know what, we can, we can make these movies. We can spend some money. We can get some talent and, you know, and be able to move on this thing. And, uh, and I, and this was, that was directly responsible for them moving forward with X-Men. So, on the critical side of it, or lack thereof, uh, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 26% score, which is pretty poor. Uh, and the audience ranking is 70%. So again, like we've seen with a lot of these movies where the, the official rated rating is low, the audience is generally a little more positive, a little more forgiving of it, uh, than, than the critics are. And the IMDb rating with 82,000 people voting is 5.8. So that kind of falls in the middle of what the two set statistics that you just gave. So. Yeah, yeah. So again, it, you know, it just, the critics panned it, but the audience was a little lukewarm on it. I was directed and written by David Goyer. And as, uh, as most of you may know, David Goyer has written such gems as, uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which we covered on an early episode of uh, Real Heroes, uh, as well as the Batman trilogy. And he did write the Blade trilogy. I mean, he he was the writer on Blade 1, 2, and 3. Uh, so he's he's kind of attributed to a lot of these superhero movies uh, have his name on it. I think uh, the directing side is is where his... his I think he, he needs to mature as a director. And I think with a bigger budget in the third movie, hopefully to spin off a new franchise, I think maybe he wasn't the best choice uh, to to headline this particular film. The the quality in his scripts are, are just, you know, on both ends of the scales, it's, you know, feast or famine. I mean, he, he wrote, you know, such, you know, quote-unquote gems as Kickboxer 2 and Demonic Toys and the sequel Dollman versus Demonic Toys. You know, and, uh, and, and some like not, you know, some not, you know, like we said, Nick Fury that we covered earlier in Real Heroes. But then again, you know, he wrote, he wrote the Blade trilogy. He co-wrote the Batman, uh, the, you know, the Batman trilogy with the Nolans. He co-wrote the, uh, the Man of Steel, which is coming out this summer. I mean, so it's, you know, it's, it's really weird, like how, you know, on one half he's, he's doing these really, really crappy scripts, and then on the other half he's doing these others. And I totally agree with you. I don't think he really has a lot of chops as a director. I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about that later when we actually get to, you know, the meat of the review of the movie. But, um, it just, you know, it was, I thought it was an odd choice that they put him behind, you know, in, in the big chair. I mean, he really has only directed a few films, and, uh, you know, this is really his first big budget movie. And I think maybe a lot of it was just goodwill for developing this into a franchise. I think, you know, it was kind of maybe a little bit of payback. Um, you know, maybe he, him really lobbying for the fact that this is a direction he wanted to go is, you know, not just writing, but directing as well. Uh, a lot of controversy after this um, because of the poor box office response and critical response. Wesley Snipes actually sued New Line um, because he felt as a, as a producer on the film that, uh, his role was diminished and the other, you know, that Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel's characters were brought to the forefront. And that's, you know, part of why it suffered and, you know, some of the humor elements in it and things like that. And so it was like this big, big hubbub for a while after after the movie came out and it just didn't perform as well. Some of that may have been motivated by the fact that Wesley Snipes was going through his big uh, tax issues and needed. Yeah, a I was going to say he might have had some side uh, motivations there. Yeah, yeah, I would I would think so. Pay your taxes, folks. Yeah, and don't hire a crappy accountant. So the score, this one doesn't really have a, a score per se, but the, the music was done by the RZA. And uh, so as, as you can notice, we didn't come in with an actual scored musical piece like we normally do. We came in with the uh, Ryan Reynolds voiceover. So I, I think it's definitely fitting for this movie. I mean, all three of the Blade Mainly Blade One, Blade Two. I think it was a little diminished, and Guillermo del Toro's influence kind of asserted itself. But Blade One definitely kind of had that hip hop music feel uh, to a lot of the beginning of it. Yeah, the music was really good. Yeah, we just can't use it because we'd have to bleep most of it if we uh, if we opened with any of the yeah. stuff. It's the best rap I've heard about sucking blood and being a vampire that I've ever heard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely topical. Uh, so the movie stars, of course, Wesley Snipes as the lead character, Blade. This was his third outing in that role. And uh, I think we can kind of universally say this was 
his flattest. I mean, he may have had some qualms about, you know, the fact that his role was maybe a little more downplayed or what have you. But I felt he he put a pretty wooden appearance in for this one. I mean, not not that he's Mr. Personality in this role, but, you know, I think, you know, and John, unfortunately, couldn't be on tonight. But, you know, we've accused him of basically phoning this one in. The only person who had more wooden performance than him in this was the guy who played Dracula, Dominic Purcell. Yeah, Dominic Purcell. <laughs> and when they had those scenes together where they were confronting each other, I will kill you. No, I will kill you. I am destined to kill you. You know, just like the most wooden reading of those lines possible. I mean, the fun, well, I, I keep saying we'll get to the review or whatever, but I couldn't agree with you more. Wesley Snipes, I mean, I, you know, woodpeckers could have come and made a home in his performance that was so wooden. Yeah. And it's funny because. You know, the first one and the second one, especially, were very dynamic. Um, a lot of action, a lot of moving. And this one, you know, he didn't. We didn't even see him with like his shirt off. He had, you know, he was all covered up. He didn't do a lot of high speed type, you know, heavy action. A lot of it seemed like it was geared towards slow mo or uh, really, you know, tightly cut. It reminded me a lot of like Steven Seagal, where in the beginning it was a lot of, you know, quick hand action, a lot of, you know, a lot of kicks, a lot of uh, spin kicks and stuff like that. And then as he got older and fatter, you know, everything was relegated to above the waist. Like you never saw him do anything below the waist at all. And uh, well, I mean, the, the the look that was very uh, famous for Snipes in the first Blade movie was him wearing that leather fast and his, you yeah. know, his, his arms bulging out. In this movie, he wears long sleeves through the entire movie. Even when he takes off his jacket at the end where he's fighting... Uh, you know, the Dracula Drake guy or whatever, he, he's still wearing long sleeves, you know what I mean, to kind of, like you said, I think he, he, you know, gotten a little bit out of shape, a little paunchy maybe, you know, like Steven Seagal did in his later movies. Yeah, or maybe he just didn't put enough effort into into the workout and stuff, and when you compare it with Ryan Reynolds, maybe he just didn't want to be upstaged, and Dominic Purcell for that matter. Uh, he Maybe he felt a little uh, insecure with his uh, physical appearance at that point. And I should come clean and say I will have a hard time comparing this to Blade 1 and 2 because I haven't actually seen them. I've seen the first five minutes of Blade 2 about four or five times, but none of the rest of it. I just happened to be staying in hotels a lot around the time it came on TV. Uh, you know, it was released to TV for the first time, so I kept <laughs> catching the first couple minutes. But uh, yeah, I don't really have a lot to compare this to in terms of Blade as a film character or as a comic character. It was funny for me because it was the opposite. I had seen Blade 2 because I'm kind of a, a Guillermo uh, del Toro fan. And I kind of saw that as just, you know, being a completist. And then having seen that, I went back and saw the first one. But I'd never seen this one until we watched it for, uh, for this show. Yeah, and these I was pretty much on board right off the bat. I was actually, I didn't get a chance to see Blade in the theater. But I was traveling on business at the time. And I was in a hotel in Puerto Rico. And... Uh, nothing going on that night. I didn't have any customer work to do, and I ordered up on the pay-per-view Blade because I'd been wanting to see it, and my wife had no interest in it. Uh, so I actually watched it on crappy pay-per-view in a hotel TV in uh, you know 1999 or 98-ish, you know, whenever that was. And so when Blade Two came out, um, you know, I definitely saw that one at the theater, and I saw this one at the theater. So I've I've been in on this franchise from the beginning for sure. Um, so to continue on with the cast, uh, Chris Christopherson comes back as. Uh, Abraham Whistler, so he's the character that's been in uh, the first two, so he, he shows up in this one. Uh, there were a lot of things, and, and, and we'll get to it in a little bit, that felt a, a lot more closely tied to the first movie than the second movie. I mean, it seems like you could, you could look at the first one and the third one a lot more cohesively, and the second one, just because I think it just has that, that strong hand of Guillermo del Toro in it, that it seems the most separate from the other two. Um, so we get a scene in this one that is very reminiscent of what happened in the first Blade movie where uh, Whistler, at least we think in the first one, that he's he's gone and, and of course, he comes back. Uh, this one, I think it's safe to say they, they did this to write him off completely. Was it just me or did Chris Christopherson really look like Jeff Bridges in this movie? <laughs> I, I'm I looking at him and I couldn't place that it was Christopherson. I just haven't seen him in anything recently. And I'm like, it looks like Jeff Bridges, but that is not his voice. He's like a brother or something. And I, I was too lazy to look it up at the time. But when I finally did after the movie was done, I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. He's the Lebowski. No, I don't know. I, I didn't get that, but I could see where you're coming from. I just uh, want to let everybody. I just want to let everybody know out there who probably don't know him from his earlier films that Chris Christopherson is actually a better actor than this. 
oh yeah, Alice doesn't <laughs> live here anymore, and all. Yeah, yeah, stuff. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. I mean, he was in a lot of really good. Hey, 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 Fredo Garcia, Convoy, Convoy, got ourselves a convoy. I just gotta say, you know, if you, if you don't know his earlier work and you think this is like, you know, you know, some guy who can't act, he he really can. So, but seriously, you shave that long hair off him in this movie, he looks just like Stain from uh, Iron Man One. <laughs> yeah, I could see Obi. that. Yep. So next we have kind of the twofer of Jessica Biel and Ryan Reynolds, who play uh, Hannibal King and Abigail Whistler, the daughter of of the Chris Christopherson Whistler character. And they are kind of like the leaders of this uh, group of what they call the Night Stalkers. And I think it goes without saying that Ryan Reynolds' performance in this thing really puts this movie over the top. And I think it would be very bland. And I think he brings something to this that adds that touch of humor, which some people may may appreciate, some people may not. But, I mean, he has all the best lines. He has all the, you know, it's like, you know, when we talked uh, last month about... Uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine and you know his his brief appearance was very memorable you know this was him basically running that you know that same way throughout the entire movie yeah really aside from that opening voiceover that I already mentioned I really liked him in this movie I thought in fact you know the things I liked about this movie were, were everything but snipes <laughs> you know, like every everything around snipes like I mean, we were, we were talking a minute about you know, Parker Posey as uh, as uh, Danica or whatever. I thought she was hilarious. It was. I thought it was really weird that there were a lot of indie um, film or actors or actors that are known more for indie films in this well, movie. Well, Christopher Guest cast people kept jumping in, and I was like, Yeah, oh, wait, exactly. Jonathan Higgins is in this movie too, and Parker Posey. Like, I kept looking. I kept looking, next? I kept looking for Michael McKee to Harry Shearer. You know, I'm like, yeah. where, Where's the yeah. rest of the, those guys? You know, where's Fred Willard? You know. And a vampire um, goth band or something. And, you know, and Natasha Leone as as the blind scientist. I'm just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it just it had, it had like a lot of really weird indie actors uh, in the cast. Um, Pat Oswalt. Yes, Pat Oswalt is Q. You know, and I got I got to say right out if we're going to talk about that, uh, Pat Oswalt does not know how to handle a weapon at all. No. <laughs> and it's just so painfully obvious in that scene where he's like handing up the gun. He's like, here. Try this gun. He's like he's handing it to him in you know in a way that's obvious. He doesn't know. He's never handled a gun before in his life. But he's supposed to be like you know the Q. And he didn't have a lot to do in the movie, but he had some good lines. I love the yeah. You know, have you ever gotten laid? Yes, many times with ladies, even with you know ladies. with ladies. It's always more fun with ladies than with that. <laughs> I find anyway. Yeah, each their own. I, I, yeah, exactly. I thought it was funny that when we first see him, he's actually he actually has a Fantastic Four shirt on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. A black one, too, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, so He's got a fun. copy of Tomb of Dracula sitting around, too, that, that you know, Brian Reynolds shows Blade yeah. at one point, too. But like like you were saying, I, um, all the parts of this movie I enjoyed were the parts that revolved around Snipe but weren't Snipe. Like like you say, Ryan Reynolds you know, brought a, a good amount of humor to it. Jessica Biel looked really good in what she was doing, even though it was, like, incredibly improbable and implausible, like some of the stuff she was doing. She looked great doing it. So, like, those are the more interesting parts of the movie to me were the supporting cast rather than, you know, the main people. Yeah, and it's funny because both of them, I mean, Jessica Biel and Ryan Reynolds at this point, I think were known quantities, but they weren't as they are now. Like, I think now they're, I hate to say superstars, but they are, they're they're high-profile stars for sure. And I think at this point, they weren't really that way. I mean, at this point, uh, Ryan Reynolds had done Van Wilder, which I think was a, was a pretty big hit. Um, you know, it was one of those kind of National Lampoon raunchy comedies that that actually did really well. And I think uh, people in general seem to have liked it. Um, and then he did. He was on that sitcom Two Girls, Two Guys, a Girl in a Pizza Parlor, which uh, which was actually a pretty funny show. Um, <laughs> that show had about four different names and you didn't yes. get one of them correct. <laughs> I believe it was Two Guys, a Girl in a Pizza Place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Two Guys and a Girl, and then they changed it again. But I don't remember what it was. I'd never seen the show, but I, yeah. I do vaguely remember the name changes. And that that's what gave us Nathan Fillion. I mean, that was his, I think. Oh, that's right. Other than his soap opera stuff, I think that was the first time he'd really done anything outside the soap opera world. So, um, so yeah, he got to start there. And then, uh, and then Ryan Reynolds, um, Jessica Biel at this point, I think for the most part had done seventh heaven and then she'd left that show. And then, which was a big, I guess, WB hit before it became a CW, I think back, back when, and then I she was, in that was movie. done before they became CW. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then Summer Catch, which I guess was that baseball movie with Freddie Burns Jr., if I'm not mistaken. 
I have no memory of that movie whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. So that was a. See that either. So again, like Jim, I think she looked fantastic. I mean, she. Oh she, yeah. You know, her and Reynolds both, I think, really got into the role. You could tell they they must have worked out like a bunch of maniacs. But I think her performance is a little flatter, and I think I'm not the biggest Jessica Biel fan. I think she's there for eye candy more so than her actual acting ability. I would certainly hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Considering yeah. the lack thereof of the acting ability, no offense, she's a lovely young lady. Yeah. Although, to be fair, looked, I've seen her do a lot worse than in this film. She True. she looked really good in the action scene. She sold it. I mean... You know, she she sold the action scenes for me, and that's where she was, you know, the best in. I thought in this movie, you know, those those choreographed action scenes. So I mean, yeah. again, not the greatest thespian in the world, you know, so far from you know what we've seen from her, but you know, it definitely fit the role and definitely made you know made that um, you know interesting. Although some of her, her lines were just like so. I mean, I mean, it's obviously the fault of the script rather than her, but you know, you know, I was born out of wedlock. Blah blah blah. I'm like, yeah. I've never heard anyone say that yeah. about themselves yeah. ever. I was like, yes, oh. and you know me for five minutes, and now I'm going to tell you this yeah, in the, the most awkward way possible. And uh, but yeah, we kind of mentioned Parker Posey, but um, it's funny. Hannibal King had something very interesting to say about uh, Parker Posey's character, Danica. You know the kind of woman that just screams trouble. You see her, and every warning bell in your brain starts going off, but you still manage to ask for her number. Well, that's all I ever hook up with. But this Betty, she blew them all away in the storm stakes. Her name is Danica Talos. You met her earlier. And unlike typical vampires, her fangs are located in her vagina. Moving on. Did anybody feel like Ryan Reynolds is kind of channeling Jason Lee a little bit in this movie? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. yeah I can Cause, see that. Because he kind of had that kind of uh, Brodyism in, in his manner in yeah. some of the parts. Yeah, I gotta say this about Parker Posey. I, in general, adore her. I, I love her in comedies. I love her in a lot of stuff. I did not really like her in this movie. I just thought something was tonally off in the yeah. performance that didn't work for me. And I think a lot of it comes to her voice. There's some roles where that voice works, and in others, she just needs to drop it in half an octave or an octave, and it would work so much better. But it's kind of grating in this role. The teeth is, I don't know, her look was off. I mean, obviously, vampire, you gotta you know, put the, you know, have the powder white look, you know, be very pale. And then that bright red lipstick, but the teeth, I don't know, her teeth for a vampire just seem different, more different than, than any of the others. And it just, I don't, I'm with you, Jordan. I, I wasn't a huge, huge fan of hers in, in this. I, I enjoyed more the back and forth that her and, and Hannibal King had than I did, you know, any of her by herself. Agreed. It just seemed to me like she was par- like it was a parody of like those women kind of like you see on Sex in the City, you know. What I mean those those toxic kind of upper crust New York women, you know, just like very too thin, too fashionable, you know, that kind of thing. It just seemed yeah. like she was making fun of that to me, and I think that's where I got the humor out of it. You know, just her kind of parodying that. I think I know what you mean about her special effects or whatever, but she's so thin anyway. They really didn't have to like you know make her look like an emaciated vampire that much. Um, but I thought I thought she was hilarious. And then we get the wrestler Triple H, who I'm I'm wondering if at this point the reason he was cast was when when the Punisher movie came out, which was before this, um, they cast Kevin Nash as that Russian hitma hitman guy, and that that part of the movie was such a huge hit that I wonder if they were trying to capture lightning in a bottle twice by giving. Well, let's him a- not forget X Men. What? Let's not forget X Men. Oh, Tyler Maine. Tyler Tyler Maine. Yeah. So I mean, uh, for some reason, I was thinking it was Triple H there too. But yeah, I mean, another big wrestler dude. Yeah, yeah. I just know, like everybody went crazy over the Kevin Nash, you know, thing. That just that part was just really cool. So this guy was this character was like a cross between Jaws and I think that that you know that big, you know, overly muscle bound, you know, heavy that they they cast in these movies a lot. But he loved that little Pomeranian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now I think back to when people were talking about, like, who should play Thor? And people kept saying Triple H. And now, having seen him in this, I'm like, are you serious? I mean, not that he was a terrible actor, but he, he, this giant neck and everything, he just does not look like Thor at all, and at least in my mind's eye. He could play but, the executioner, though, in the Thor. You no, know, maybe. Yeah. You know, yeah. But um, 
Real quick, uh, Callum Keith Rennie, who played the other brother of um, Parker Posey. You remember him from Memento, probably. He's a Cylon and a vampire. Yes, he is. He totally messed with Starbuck. Which tells me that this movie was almost certainly shot in Vancouver. Because (laughs) almost everything I've ever seen him in is shot in Vancouver. Yeah. And then, of course, we we mentioned earlier Dominic Purcell as uh, Dracula. And at this point, I think the biggest thing he was known for was that uh, TV series John Doe. This was right before Prison Break. Prison Break, I think, was the next year or that that next season on television when this came out. Um, but I was a really big fan of John Doe, that Fox series that lasted one season on the huge, huge cliffhanger uh, that never got resolved. Dominic Purcell's performance in this movie was so wooden I could hang my coat on it. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was yeah. just like you know everything. It just seemed like he was reading off of a piece of paper, you know. You know, especially so in the scenes with Snipes. I mean, I know Snipes had a lot on his mind. All right, well, that's enough of the cast and crew and by the numbers. Oh, oh you forgot James Remar, who was also in Judge Dredd. Yeah, and John yeah. Michael Higgins. Yes, and John Michael Higgins. Both, both There's some were... good actors in this movie. Let's just yeah, see. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's get into the meat of the discussion, the actual movie movie itself. Anybody want anything? Anybody have anything to go first? Well, I actually do have something I wanted to jump in with, and that is, I did not hate this movie. I actually kind of enjoyed it on a dumb action movie level, but something I really did like about the movie was the tone, which I understand is probably different than the first two and something that makes people not like it as much, but for me, this felt very much like it could have fit in the Buffy universe, and, you know, granted, you know, different versions of Dracula and the rules are slightly different, but tonally, it felt very much like a return to Sunnydale. Like a mix of humor and action and vampire killing and stuff like that. Yeah, and even the the same very similar effect for when the vampires are killed, how they uh, you know turn to ash and everything. It just felt very similar in in, in, a, in a good way. Yeah, I could see that. That definitely yeah. makes sense. Something I want to say about this movie, just right off the bat, there are way too many shots of people walking in slow motion toward the camera in this movie. While yeah. everything else is going in fast motion. Yes, they did that a few times, and they also did it with just them walking in slow motion toward the camera, like they're getting ready to go do something. I counted six times before I forgot to start, you know, to keep counting, because there were so many different times. Um, it, this, it seemed like half this movie, people were walking to me in slow motion. <laughs> I think Goyer maybe was channeling his inner John Woo. I did like the scene where they, uh, the vampire flipped off the sun at the beginning. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. kind of funny. Yeah. They're, they're yeah, I mean, in those head-to-toe, head-to-toe uh, gear going into that giant temple that no one's ever seen or noticed before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, he flips off the sun. I thought that was pretty funny. It, um, Jordan, real quick, the the whole things moving in fast motion while other people are moving at normal speed. That's kind of a trope, I think, that Goyer got from Stephen Norrington from the first Blade. They did that quite a bit, not quite a bit. They did it several times. Uh, in the first Blade 2, where they'd show, like, time passing, or when Blade, at one point when he was even driving the car doing stuff, he would be driving the car and be going, like, super, super fast while you'd see everything around move even faster and that kind of thing going on. And and, and I understand it as a visual metaphor. It works as, you know, a thing to represent that these vampire characters are ageless, they will live forever, and so they're basically moving in slow motion while the world moves very quickly around them and changes. Sure. The visual metaphor works just fine, but like Jim said, it was used a lot in this movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that. One of the things I have in my notes is that I think this movie tried to be too many things. I think it tried to be this heavy action movie. I think it tried to be a little bit of a comedy. I think it tried to be a superhero movie. And then I think it, it tried, tried to be an early iPod commercial. Yeah. A lot of product placement in this movie. That's a good point, Jordan. Lots Although of I did think how the iPod was worked in was cool, but it was still really prominent. I mean, you, everything from GM trucks to uh, Count Chocula. Were <laughs> well, that would make this movie. more sense considering I don't even think they make Count Chocula anymore. Actually, they do. Oh, do they really? Yes. Well, they I know do. what I'm doing tomorrow. The other thing I think it tried to be is a horror movie, and I think that's where it maybe fell off the rails a little bit for me. I think that. That segment when we get towards the end when Blade and Whistler are going back to their, you know, home base or whatever it is, and everybody's been killed and there's no power and they're kind of walking through and then they go through and she's, I guess, creating that super bow and, you know, it, we get that Rocky Four moment where she keeps uh, 
you know, pulling, you know, launching the bow in the, in the, the pounds per square inch, keep accumulate, you know, keep going up and up and up, kind of like that, uh, Ivan Drago scene from Rocky Four. Uh, I, I think that just was, went on way too long. And I think, again, like I said, that's where the tone, I think they tried to shift and then they immediately go and shift back. And I think, I think that was kind of to its detriment, at least in my opinion. I think this whole movie was probably a half hour way too long. You know, they start yeah. out with the first plot of of them setting up Blade to be hunted by the police. Okay, and that's like the that seems like it's going to be the main you know story, spine of the story or whatever. Oh, you know, he's going to have to do what he does, but now he's going to have to watch out for the cops too. Kind of like you know, Batman Year One kind of type of thing. And I was cool with that. And then after about forty five minutes, after he gets after he gets captured by the police, it, they totally forget that storyline at all until the very end when you see James Remar's character again. They totally forget about the fact that, you know, they just, like, throw, like, this whole plot out the window for in exchange for, oh, now we have Daystar and the day you know, Nightwalkers and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it, it just seemed like somebody came in and did a rewrite or, I don't know, but it just seemed like this whole movie could have been a lot shorter. I didn't know, I mean, while I was watching it, it felt like the two hours that it really was. And it yeah. was also weird in retrospect because the beginning of the movie where he kills the one vampire, the human accolade of the vampires or whatever... And that turns into this big thing. But even later, he points out he's killed, like, over a thousand of the human accolades. So, in retrospect, what's the difference? Yes, it was caught on camera or whatever, but he's clearly done this many, many times before. And when he does it, even before he gets caught on camera, they're already acting like, oh, this is, this is, he crossed the line, he killed a human. But clearly, that hasn't been a problem for him before if they're, you know, quote-unquote evil humans. Many, many, many times before. Oh yeah, th- you know, over a thousand. It's it's not like it's only you know. Oops, I did it again. You know. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty big disconnect. I when he when I first saw it, and he said, "Yeah, over a thousand, I thought he meant vampires, and no. Then he says familiars, and I was like, "Well, wait a minute. What you know? It just like that conversation between him and Whistler didn't make any sense at that point." Yeah. I mean, you had that decent opening scene with the, the, the action or whatever where, you know, I know it makes no sense for him to drop on the back of the truck and then drive the car out of the back of the truck, you know, so he can... Why was the car in there backwards? Yeah, why did he know that he would need the car to begin with? Why didn't you just kill them all at once? I mean, well, never mind. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Because we'll be asking too many questions that really... Why no is answer. his car windshield apparently bulletproof sometimes, but not others, and also can be punched through despite being bulletproof sometimes? Right, yeah. <laughs> bulletproof. And then, he smiles at him the first time he shoots out his windshield, like he's saying, you know, yeah, I'm bulletproof. And then, after it's got blood all over it and holes in it, he uses the windshield wiper like that's going to make a difference. All it's going to do is push blood through the holes onto the inside of the windshield. <laughs> yeah. I, I still think it. the movie in general, though, opened pretty strong. I mean, we get that scene in the desert, and then we get the big you know, chase scene you know, with the car and everything. I mean, you know reality suspension aside i think it was i think it actually worked as a pretty good sequence and i think when i saw it i was like well this is off to a pretty good start uh, oh yeah and that whip weapon he was using was really cool i would have liked yeah. to have seen that throughout the rest of the film yeah but it just seemed like it got off to a good start and it had that one storyline going and then just totally abandoned it was my point yeah did you it's funny the the character that was the uh the psychiatrist uh in there yeah yeah, John yeah. Michael Higgins. Did you guys get a little bit of a Dark Knight Returns, Dr. Wolper vibe out of that? Uh, I can see why you'd say that. Yeah, I don't know if I got it while I was watching his introduction, but I, I get it after that, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, he gets introduced on a TV talk show. He's trying to, you know, he says he can rehabilitate a, a, a habitual killer. Yeah, I can see the parallels, but... Oh, and Elliot Gould was in this movie, now that you bring up that scene. No, that was Eric Bogosian. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I could have sworn that was L.A. Gould, but that, that took me out for a second, too. I was like, that's weird. Yeah, it was Eric Bogosian. Because I, I, again, another indie film guy, you know, uh, you know, talk radio and stuff. You are right. I just looked it up. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I, I thought was cool, too, especially if they were moving forward with this, uh, and they kind of did. I mean, they, they, I don't know if any of you guys ever saw the Spike TV series that they created. No, but I, I do know that it existed. It, it was actually pretty good. Um, but anyway, I won't go off on a tangent of that. But one of the things they did in this movie, I think, that was nice to set things up for either future movies or to go down the road was it was always a big deal in the movies that he had to take his serum. He had to inject the serum into himself. And it was like it would cause him to go into convulsions almost. And he would, you know, have to basically put a mouthpiece in and be, 
restrain because it would it would cause such a violent reaction in them. And when they went to that whole rebreather thing, I, I actually thought that was kind of cool because it gets out of that that trope of oh he's you know out of serum or oh he's got a you know he's going to get injected with the serum and freak out for five minutes or whatever. Uh, so I, I thought that was kind of a cool trope that they they tried to get out of by introducing that in this flick. Jordan, you mentioned product placement earlier with the whole yes. iPod. So I got a little clip uh, to, to kind of uh, go along with that. She's making playlists. She likes to listen to MP3s when she hunts. It's like her own internal soundtrack, you know? Darkcore, trip-hop, whatever kids are listening to these days. Me, I'm more of a David Hasselhoff fan, you know? That scene, one of the things on the, on the deleted scenes that they have is uh, he did about six takes of that scene, and they're all, like, they could have used any one of them, and they would have been just as funny. I mean, one of them was like, um, I'm more of a Kenny G man myself, but but only the early stuff, not not some of that newer stuff. And <laughs> Yeah, one of them was like Andrea Bocelli, and he's like, he's blind. And <laughs> it was there was like two or three other ones that were, they were really funny. It was so weird to see that either. I, th- I forget if it was a first or second gen iPod, but to think it's only been what ten years since this movie came out or whatever, and to see that really old style, it already looks so out of place. Yeah, yeah. I have a I have a question. I'm only asking half facetiously after seeing this movie. Was this the year that they invented tinted contacts? Like everybody in this <laughs> movie had tinted contacts, even the people had brown eyes. Like you, you, it was somewhat around that time that they started to come really into prevalence for, like, you know, just the average consumer. Because, I mean, even, like, when they did close-ups of, of the guy who played Drake or whatever, he's supposed to have regular brown eyes. He was wearing tinted contacts. I'm just like... Well, and he had weird pupils, though. Like, the iris and the pupil were, like, at one point it was almost, like, cat-like, where it was... But um, sideways. And not, yeah. And not, like, on a Dutch angle, you know? Yeah. So there's some weird weirdness going on with that, for sure. And then the one, the Asian vampire chick, um, at, at at the at the where they go to the 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 blood farm or whatever, like when she vamps out, her eyes go this crazy ice blue color. But I yeah, didn't even catch that. Yeah, yeah, it was like real. I mean, I was watching. I was like, wow, that was really uh out, you know, over the top. <laughs> then that the one thing for me that I thought was just really strange, and again, we talk about the movie being shorter and it's funny there's actual the the blu-ray that i i have is actually the unrated cut so there's a few minutes more in it um but it has there's a scene where he goes into this dracula shop which that scene should have been totally cut out and i was like what is this this is the the most pointless pointless scene ever i mean it made it made no sense what was in the longer version no, I mean, I, I, I guess what I was getting at was I wasn't sure if that was something they added strictly for the unrated cut or if it was in the regular. Oh, no. Cut. No, that's in the regular version, too. I mean, he, uh, he, they try to sell him Count Chocula and a uh, little vampire um, handbags, whatever, and he ends up feeding on a goth girl. No, I was going to say, it just it made no sense. I mean, that just, it, it's like, okay, he sees a shop that has Dracula stuff, he goes in, and I, I, it, just, it just seemed like so out of place. And again, in a movie that we talk about could have been trimmed, for, to be a little leaner and meter. I mean, that's that's a scene that, you know, could have been two and a half minutes right there. Yeah, I kept waiting for that goth cheerleader chick or whatever to show up later on in the movie as one of his vampire accolades or something, and that never happened. And and I I understand that they, they put those scenes in there so you don't forget about Drake as the villain, you keep him on screen, and to try to paint him as, you know, this evil guy. But the scene was just laughable, and only a few minutes later you have him... Uh, putting a baby's life in danger, and then later on in the movie, you have him putting um, the blind uh, doctor, I forget what her name was, but her daughter's life in, in jeopardy, and, and you know talking really evil to her and stuff, and I thought those worked really well towards painting him as a villain. You didn't need the scene at all, and even if you decided you did need a scene to further portray him as evil, this one didn't work that way. It was just laughable. Yeah. <clears throat> I have another clip. At the, at the beginning, it, I... You could definitely tell that this was a setup for hopefully a future franchise or a spinoff or something to do with the Night Stalkers. And so when they bring Blade in, there's there's a little bit of tension, but I, I kind of like the, the back and forth uh, exchange that they have uh, b- between the two. So this is a little bit of a longer clip. Welcome to the Honeycomb Hideout. How do you bankroll this operation? 
I date a lot of older men. Come on, man, I'm joking. You met Dex, this is Hedges, Summerfield. She's the one who built that new steering handler of yours. That runt you saw earlier, that was Summerfield's daughter, Zoe. We call ourselves the Night Stalkers. <laughs> Sounds like rejects from a Saturday morning cartoon. Well, we were going to go with the Care Bears, but uh, that was taken. How many of you are there? There's enough. We operate in sleeper cells. When one goes down, another cell activates to pick up the slack. I consider us your reinforcements. What, you amateurs are supposed to be helping me? <laughs> you? Look at you. Your kids. You're not ready to roll with this. I mean, look at the way you dressed. <laughs> but that's supposed to be tactical. What is this? What is that? Fuck you. It's a joke, huh? Fuck on with you. You think this is a joke? You think this is a fucking sitcom? Okay, first off, that's just rude. Second, I'm pretty sure we saved your ass back there. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yes, I do think it's a sitcom. <laughs> I feel like that was just Wesley Snipes, you know, expressing his discontent with the general plot. Yeah, it 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 it, it definitely felt that way. It's like okay, I I I kind of can see this in multiple layers, and it and it works, especially knowing that he had such an issue with that component of of it bring you know being brought in this movie to begin with, but. Uh, but it too, it, and it kind of sets up the premise that if they were to carry this forward, that you know they could bring in you know characters would come and go, and that this Night Stalkers that it's it's more like a network than it is just uh you know one group of people you know that if if more you know if some get killed off or go away or whatever that you know more come in. So I, I like the fact that they set up the premise, and you know of, of course like anything else, the old guy comes in and um you know, takes issue with the young whippersnappers that are trying to muscle in on, you know, what he's been doing, grinding it out for years and years and years at this point. But of course, from a plot level, then you've set up that, hey, when one goes down, others can come in. And then the one you do see in the movie goes down. No others come in. Just a driver guy who doesn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then he finally learns the value of friendship. The value of teamwork. And letting people help you when you need it. <laughs> like the villain. It's funny though. That's one of the things that clip we just we just heard was a very was probably the most Wesley Snipes Blade ish you know exchange that we got in the whole movie. There's there's one other one that we get uh, that I'll play here in a second. But aside from those two pieces, again, you know, we talked I kind of beating it to death. But we talked about how wooden the performance is, and I think you know the fact that normally what we try and do on Real Heroes is bring in a lot of clips and. I'll tell you right now, most of the clips that I have are all Ryan Reynolds or majority Ryan Reynolds, or he's at least in the clip somewhere um, because there just wasn't anything really noteworthy that anybody else said, even even really bad. I mean, there wasn't anything that was just so horrible. I was like, oh, man, I got to clip this. Um, you know, anything worthy of comment was all, you know, was all Ryan Reynolds. I don't know. The one the one scene after uh, the, the scientist is dead and Jessica Biel is holding her and, 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 and fake crying. Um, when Wesley Snipes comes up behind her and says, use it. Use yeah. it. I was I just, I literally broke out laughing. It was just so, <laughs> so I was like, goofy. is he telling her to kill the scientist because she's been turned? And then it took me a minute to be like, oh, use the anger. But that was never really said. I just had to pick it out of there myself. Yeah, it just I just it just made me laugh. The other and also, I feel really bad for admitting this, but I did not realize that scientist was blind until like her third scene in the movie. <laughs> Even after seeing her braille keyboard, I just thought it was a really cool keyboard. I did not pick up on the fact that it was braille. And why do you put the blind doctor on monitor duty? <laughs> yeah, with I'm her just with like, like wait a minute, why did they have yeah. the video cameras if they're gonna put the blind lady on monitor duty? What? But I, I did think it was a cool element to her character and something that, like, at first, when she first showed up, I was like, why is she acting so strangely? And then I was, you know, just something felt off. And then once I realized she was blind, I was like, oh, okay, that all works then. And actually a cool thing to that character it was cool how they, her relationship with her daughter and the whole Gnome King and everything and, and tying that in, I thought it was all pretty cool. Yeah. The other clip I have is a little more, again, typical Wesley Snipes, Blade 1, Blade 2 uh, kind of exchange that we got. No, 
What's behind door number one? Can't tell you. They'll, they'll kill me. Kill you? I'll kill you. I'll just enjoy it better. I just wish we had more of that. I mean, that was the you know the <laughs> cool stuff with Blade One is we got you know quite a bit of those little kind of quips and exchanges, uh, you know, between him and and people he interacted with, between him and you know Deacon Frost, and it's like all that stuff was relegated to the Hannibal King character and just completely pulled away from Snipes. And I don't know if that was you know intentional. I don't know if. Again, I don't know the history or the the story behind the writing of this. If he just wasn't as engaged, and um, you know, if they felt like okay, this is the last movie that they want to go down this path with with Wesley Snipes, so they set this stuff up with the Night Stalkers, so they can go down that path. You know, I don't I don't really know, you know, uh, you know, officially what what the the bit was, but just given how little we, you know, heard of him acting as Blade, and and again the wooden performance, it just makes you wonder, you know, which came. You know, first chicken or the egg. A couple, a couple little tidbits I have, not to get too too uh, far back down the casting route, but I guess originally Colin Farrell was offered the role for Hannibal King, and he turned it down, and Ashley Scott was offered the role for Abigail Whistler, which I thought I think would have been interesting. That name rings a bell, but I can't think of where I know it from. Ashley Scott. Yeah, what was she in? She was in the short-lived Birds of Prey TV series. Okay, I vaguely remember that. And she's she's been in some other stuff. I can't that none of it jumps to me right off the top. I guess she was in Jericho. She was in the movie SWAT with Colin Farrell, funny enough. And then she's just kind of made some appearances here there, mostly TV stuff that that she's been on. She was on that show Dark Angel with uh She was on in AI. I remember seeing that. I don't, I don't remember what character she played, but I'm looking it up myself. Yeah, I guess just a lot of stuff I haven't really seen or have only been vaguely familiar with. Yeah, yeah. But I think she would have been a good choice. I mean, she's, you know, she's pretty good looking. She's, I think she's definitely got better acting chops than than Jessica Biel. So kind of interesting, interesting bit of what, what might have been. Speaking of, I guess, exchanges, like we were talking earlier, between Parker Posey and Ryan Reynolds, I, I have a clip here that's probably the, the funniest of the bunch. And from what I understand, a lot of their dialogue back and forth with each other was very improvised. Like they would do a take on script and then they would just start literally just calling each other the worst, most vile names that they could possibly think of trying to crack each other up and to try and push the envelope uh, that it got pretty ridiculous. But this is uh, what we ended up with in the movie itself. Where is this tracking node of yours? It's in my left ass cheek. Fine. It's in my right ass cheek. Okay, I'm sick. Okay, seriously now. It's in the meat of my butt, just below the Hello Kitty tattoo. Just pull down my tidy waist and see for yourself. Enough! It's not funny anymore. No, it's not, you horse bitch. But it will be a few seconds from now. Huh? You see that tickle that you're feeling in the back of your throat right now? Oh, that's atomized colloidal silver. It's being pumped through the building's air conditioning system, you hot juggling thunder. Which means the fat lady should be singing right about now. <laughs> this is awkward. <laughs> I got to say the R rating and particularly the R rated language really did help this movie. Um, It's something that I kind of miss in a lot of superhero stuff. And no, granted, it wouldn't fit everywhere. But in this movie, in particular with that character, if he wasn't saying things like that, it would feel strange. Yeah. Yeah. And it just I remember in the theater uh, watching that and the whole theater just busted out laughing. I mean, just uncontrollably laughing. Um and then, you know, just like when we kind of recovered a little bit, then we get that, you know, bit where he's screaming at the camera as it pans up and nothing happens. You know, the music swells and he's like, oh, that's awkward. <laughs> but again, it just it just kind of shows, you know, when they write Ryan Reynolds this way, he's pretty much scene stealer, if not a movie stealer. Uh, he, he's well, just... like you already pointed out, he's good at the improvising, too. I mean, yeah, granted, Parker Posey is no slouch herself. I mean, that's kind of what she's known for. But right. You know, 
he he's proven himself time and again in, in different films and TV shows that when you give him the chance to just go wild, he's going to give you some gold. He had some very Deadpool type moments in this movie too. I noticed. Yes. That. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I think that's what was so maybe disappointing with Green Lantern was I think if we got all of that, everybody would just compare it to what he'd done with this and with Wolverine, you know, because we didn't get that version. I, I think that, you know, that well, there are a lot of problems with that movie, but uh, I, I think it's damned if you do, damned if you don't with that one. You let Ryan Reynolds be Ryan Reynolds and then you get criticized for that. You you don't let him do it and, you know, the movie kind of suffers. So, But, but Green, Green Lantern's not that kind of wise-ass, though. Green Lantern. Exactly. Right. I mean, exactly. That, exactly. That's why That's why it was just, I thought it was a case of poor casting. You're either going to hire Ryan Reynolds to be Ryan Reynolds or you should get somebody else to be not right. Ryan Reynolds. You know? Yeah, exactly. But that's, a, that's another Real Heroes episode in the future, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. One of the other things they that I thought was interesting, we, we talked about a little bit, is I think they pulled in aspects of the other two movies into this one. I mean, we saw with Dracula where the bottom part of his jaw opens up with the tongue that comes out with the almost alien-like tongue. And the same a thing, trait he shares only with the dogs. And right. With and Resident the, and Evil. Yeah. Right. And we saw that with the dogs, too. But that was... What was funny is that was the big thing with Blade 2. That, that was the big bad was the vampires that were being experimented on and mutated so they had that that lower jaw that opened up um in order for them to be these you know super vampires or what you want whatever you want to call them and yeah i mean the trope of that one is blade had to team up with the vampires to actually go after you know this strain and then we finally get to the bottom of it but i just thought it was interesting that they brought that into the fold for this one and i think a lot of the visual stuff like we talked about the the fast motion the the hip hop kind of soundtrack the you know the more wise assy nature to some of the characters i think that's definitely tied very much to the first one um more so than the second one but but they definitely tried to make it so you know there were little bits and pieces of of the other two in this one and i think that was a, a plus and, and not a minus i really appreciated the 90s video game uh boss fight music at the end yeah when, when blade and, and dracula face off I, that was really cool and the whole bit with the I, I almost kind of rolled my eyes with the whole, we have the serum, but it needs to, you know, have Dracula's blood mixed with it in order for it to be effective. And it'll kill everyone within, you know, that vicinity. And it was just like, I don't know. It just, it just seemed really kind of hokey to me. And again, it was kind of reminiscent of the first Blade movie with how Blade d- defeated Deacon Frost. It was the same kind of thing going on. I just, I don't know. I, I it just kind of fell flat for me. I wish they would have uh, either gone all in on that and and have it be have it have been universal where that was, you know, went around, you know, that that particles whatever it went in the air and mutated and multiplied and whatever and and that just kind of wiped out all the vampires or you know it just it you know went some other way with it. But uh, I mean, isn't I mean, I remember in Lost Boys and other vampire movies, if you kill the head vampire, all the other vampires fall. Why didn't they just go with that? I would have simplified everything. I mean, it's kind of like it's like midichlorians. You're like needlessly complicating something that's already been worked out in the mythology. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that last fight, you could definitely tell that that Snipes had not been training as much as he had for the first two movies at all. Like I said, like you said before, they left a lot of the fighting to Ryan Reynolds and, and Jessica Biel. Um, Who held their own, thankfully. Yeah, Yeah. like I said, I thought they looked really good doing what they were doing. The other thing, you know, kind of talking about that ending, there were three endings for this movie that were actually filmed. And the one that we saw in the theatrical release was Arrow. He stabbed with that arrow with Blade. It releases the spores, kills all the vampires. And then Dracula dies. And he he says, I'll leave you with something. And, you know, tells him the thirst always comes back. But we find out that when the body blade actually gets away and that Dracula changes form into blade. And so that way, when the cops come and 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 they it all gets raided, they think they've got blade who they've been after. The feds have him and then they take him back to the morgue. They see that's his form. And then as as they watch in front of him, he changes back to Dominic Purcell and just kind of, um, you know, kind of has that veiny you know emaciated look to him the ending that's on the extended cut he tells him you know he has the thing about the thirst you know always coming back and the next cut is is blade in the morgue and this time instead of him fading out to be dracula he actually wakes up 
and start and goes crazy and starts to attack everybody in the in the morgue. the th- The third ending they had, which is on the the Blu Ray as as an extra, is those spores went out. They multiplied. They killed all of the vampires all over the globe. So there's no more vampires. So the Night Stalkers actually turned to hunting werewolves. So <laughs> yeah. So they show up at this uh, at this casino at at the, the end of the movie. It cuts over to this to to uh, Hannibal King showing up at a casino, and they start walking through. And then all of a sudden, you see Jessica Biel's character gets thrown out a window and lands on this uh, uh, blackjack table and gets up and says, yeah, I found him. And then this werewolf jumps through um, onto the table and they start to fight it. And then it cuts out and it's over. Please tell me that Ain't No Rest for the Wicked was playing in the background. Uh, I don't know. Because <laughs> that would have been kind of perfect. I kind of like that idea, actually. Yeah, and it, um, was, it was it was rough. Like, there wasn't... I don't think there was any music, and you could tell the sound effects were not quite edited back in fully. Um, but yeah, so those those are the three, the three endings they filmed. And I, I kind of like the... According to David Goyer, the ending they put on the DVD Blu-ray with Blade waking up um, in the morgue and attacking was meant to, to leave it kind of ambiguous, like you know, based on what Dracula told him that the thirst always takes over. So, you know, is it that he woke up after, you know, being, you know, that bad, you know, that badly damaged in the fight and being that drained and then taking this inhaled thing, has he lost out finally to the, to the monster? And it kind of, kind of goes back to the conversation he had with the kid too. Like, you know, why, you know, why can't you just not be bad? Um, And he, he kind of makes, makes mention of that. So it was kind of left to be ambiguous and that's the ending actually Goyer prefers. I'm fine with that ending. Was he biting people or was he just fighting them? It was real quick. Like basically he gets off the table and then jumps at him and then it cuts. Okay. Gotcha. So he kind of, actually he gets up, he kind of, he lets out this yell. uh, uh, Not very long. And then he starts attacking him and then boom, it cuts out. And then we get the Ryan Reynolds voiceover and then they cut to that Spider-Man ending where they focus in on the, uh, on the the sunglasses and then zoom out, you know, tilt the camera, zoom out and then show the city. Um, And when I saw that, I was like, man, that's like ripped directly out of the ending of Spider-Man one, which were both produced by Avi Arad. Yeah. Yeah. And Stanley too. But I think that's just a name only. I'm still confused about that ending. So the, the body that turns from blade turns into Dracula. Remember he said Dracula could change form. Yeah, but why would Dracula change into Blade? He said, I give you m- one final gift because you respected him as a fighter. Oh, right. okay. Now I get it. I thought that yeah, was he said the, the future of our race is, okay, is not, doesn't need to be manufactured. The future of the race is you. Which I also liked, you know, despite yeah. the winning acting between them. I, I always like the uh, the villain who lives by a code or the villain who, you know, in this case, he he was fighting with the vampires, the regular vampires, but he didn't really care one way or the other about what they were doing you know he was out for himself and so right if he's going to be you know if he's going to go down he he respects the guy who bested him and, and i dig that from a villain i like that plasma cutter even if the cg of it expanding and contracting was pretty dumb the the actual fights were not really fights with it but the killings with it were pretty cool it looked like a klingon it looked like one of those klingon uh, weapons from star trek the next gen a bat left. Yeah, left yeah yeah i called it the uv bat left <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question for you guys. Um, in the when you're first introduced to Jessica Biel's character of Whistler, uh, a- uh, Abby Whistler, I think it was she. You know, she's carrying the fake baby that sprays out garlic or whatever. Was anyone else expecting when Dominic Purcell runs off with the baby that when Blade finally gets to it, it's going to turn out to be a fake baby? Like they use the same tactic. I didn't just because the woman said, "My baby, my baby," and he, he looked over and the baby was actually gone. So I didn't, but I I could definitely see where you're where you're going with that. Yeah, I was waiting for it to like then cut back to her, and she's got one of the tattoos on her hand or something. Ah, because C- you only see the baby's like extremities move once before Blade actually gets his hands on it. So I was, I was before that that you, the clear movement. I was like, I wonder if this is a double cross. It's it's funny in the deleted in the there's a blooper reel on the Blu-ray, and when he filmed that scene, that baby cried nonstop. <laughs> It would not stop crying because I guess it was a real baby when he was when he it was like standing on the roof or whatever. And it, it was like, a, I guess it was a probably fake background or whatever. But the baby just would not stop crying and 
Purcell had a hard time not cracking up laughing or having to, you know, shake the baby to get it to stop crying, you know, and it was, it was kind of funny. Stop crying, baby. <laughs> so do we want to do ratings? All right, Jordan, you go first. All right. Uh, like I said, I, I enjoyed this movie. I mean, it's not like the world's best movie or anything, but for, you know, your standard action fare, I thought it did its job and had some pretty enjoyable parts. I'm kind of, in my head, I'm going back and forth between a 6.5 and a 7. Uh, out of 10, but I think I'm going to land on a 6.5. I mean, it's good for what it set out to do, or it's at least passable for what it set out to do and is enjoyable, but it doesn't really rise above that in any way. So I think 6.5 is what I'm landing on. But I'd watch it again, and I'd certainly watch the other two now. Not that I was actively avoiding them before, I just hadn't gotten around to it. I give it a 5. One of the pod- other podcasts I listen to, a video game podcast, coined the phrase, it's it's more fun than good. And yeah. that's how I felt. That's like how I would define this movie. It was it was not a good movie, but at any rate, but it was fun. You know, like parts of it were fun. It was fun enough to watch. It was it was cool to see a lot of actors I really enjoy in this movie, like kind of hemming it up and and having fun with the, their roles. You know, like you said, John Michael Higgins and Parker Posey, and that was a nice surprise to see that cast, supporting cast. But yeah, it was it's more fun than it is good. So I give it a, a, straight, a straight up five. And what is with Parker Posey being in this and Superman Returns? Like, she is, I mean, like I said, I love Parker Posey, but what is she doing in superhero movies? I ever? don't know. Yeah, very out of character. Paycheck. Um, I get, I'll uh, fall into your boat, Jordan, and I'll give it a 6.5. I, again, I thought it was a little bit better than, it wasn't terrible and it wasn't great. Uh, I think it made me laugh quite a bit, and I like the Hannibal King character. I honestly, I I really wouldn't mind seeing a spinoff with this you know group moving forward. But I think just the box office just wasn't quite there, and it just really didn't have that oomph to to do that. Um, I think maybe now that Jessica Biel and Ryan Reynolds are a bigger draw, maybe if they decide to go back to that well, they might be able to. But uh, I, I don't I don't envision that happening anytime soon. All right. So, is it time to spin the wheel? Ooh. I think it may be time to spin the wheel. I am. Afraid. I know it's it's always your favorite part of the show, Jim. <laughs> All right, here we go. And the wheel has chosen cowboys and aliens. Ooh. Okay, I'll give it another shot. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't love it the first time, but then again, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention the first time. Not that it actively tried to grab my attention, but we'll see. At least Olivia Wilde's in it. That's true, yes. She's very nice to look at. That is true. So not the most comic booky of comic book movies, I would say. I mean, this, I think Cowboys and Aliens was originally developed as a comic to hopefully one day turn it into a, a movie, which it did, um, and which we will not be seeing any more of. But, uh, but yeah, so that's our real heroes for May: Cowboys and Aliens. Yippee Kaye! At least we dodged barbed wire again. <laughs> <laughs> That is on the list, so it may come up at some point. I haven't seen it, but the How Did This Get Made episode about it was very fun. Let's hope the wheel doesn't choose that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that about does it for Real Heroes this month. Uh, thanks for joining us. As always, you can check out all the podcasts we have going on at hhwlod.com, Legion of Dudes, uh, Half Hour Wasted, of course, Real Heroes, Walking Dead TV podcast, Out Now with Aaron and Abe. The Black Box, all good stuff going on over there at HHWLOD.com. I just wanted to mention real quick, because uh, they asked me to, uh, Aaron and Abe are about to celebrate their 100th episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. On Out Congratulations now. Um, to them. They just put out episode 99 as we record this, and by the time this comes out, I believe episode 100 will be out, so we want to give them big big ups and big congrats. Happy 100, guys. Yeah, definitely, for, them. for sure. Um, you know, I, I think it's been great that we've been getting more more Aaron on Walking Dead. I think uh, as the seasons go on, we'll probably be seeing or hearing more from him uh, as time goes by. But those guys just do a great job with movie reviews. They've they've got a little bit of an inside beat onto that industry, which is awesome. So it was a really good uh, 
good get for us to to bring those guys on board. So um, congratulations on a hundred episodes. I can't believe that it's been it's been that many so soon. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure they've done more than that too because they don't count the commentary episodes, um, right. things like that. So, like kind of like we do. I mean, we do extra episodes too. So I just wanted to shout them out. I'm real, real proud of them and proud they're part of our HHWLOD posse. So big absolutely. Oh, and also on that note, things that aren't counted uh, towards the the full the full numbering system. If you're listening to this and you're just subscribed to the Real Heroes feed or just subscribed to the LOD feed, uh, Jim and I put out a Bioshock Infinite cast this past week as as we record this anyway. Um, that I think turned out pretty well. And we've gotten some good response from it on Reddit and stuff. If if you are interested in playing this game, check it out. We have a spoiler free section and a spoiler filled section, um, and it's a fantastic game. And uh, we really had a lot of fun putting the episode together. Spoiler for our review of it: we liked it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I just finished my fourth playthrough today, so nice. I really like it. And for all things comic book movie, since we're on that on that boat, I did a, a YouTube video unboxing of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase One set. So it's that Blu-ray set in the suitcase that lights up with the cosmic cube and all the goodies with it. Um, I went through each item by item. It's about eleven minutes long. Uh, if you head on over to hhwlod.com, it's on the main page of the website, uh, or you can uh, check out the Facebook groups for uh, Legion of Dudes. Um, I've got it posted there, or you can just head over to YouTube and do a search on Marvel Cinematic Universe unboxing, and you should find it uh, find it up there. I think it's youtube.com slash HHWLOD podcast network. That's correct. Yeah, we got our own YouTube channel, so keep an eye on it. So as more of these cool things come out, we'll, uh, we'll definitely be on top of all that. So, so until next time, if you want to leave us a voicemail, uh, send it to us at 516-468-7912. So until next time, when we discuss Cowboys and Aliens, have a good night. So Wesley Snipes was upset about being the meat in a Jessica Biel Ryan Reynolds sandwich? That seems odd to me, because it's probably, probably the best place in the world you could ever be. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, I'm going to be haunted by vampire Pomeranians in my dreams. <laughs> so, that's just frightening. And vampire bulldogs, which are creepy but can barely run, so See, not we, that creepy. That's a little more like the with dogs and Resident Evil, though. But I always, I've never liked tiny dogs like that, and just to see them with the Resident Evil type face about to suck out my blood—that's horrifying. Vampire Dobermans, not so much. Yeah. Or Hulk dogs, because those are really dumb too. Yeah, I've seen those. Have a good week, everybody.